From the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, this is Catholic Military Life, the only official podcast of the Archdiocese. I'm your moderator, Taylor Henry, and it is my honor to welcome back to our microphones Father Aidan Logan, the Vocations Director here at the Archdiocese for the Military Services. Father Aiden, thank you for joining me again today. Oh, it's always a pleasure, Taylor. And uh, we are on the tail end of your uh, seven and a half years. Yes. Going on eight years as a Vocations Director here, and uh, you are uh, moving on uh, uh, to make room for your uh, successor, Father S. Matthew Gray, who's due here later in the summer. Um Thank you for talking to me about uh, your time, your seven and a half years as vocations director. You've had quite a run here, Father. Uh, 65 seminarians have entered the co-sponsored seminarian program uh, in preparation of, for, in preparation for becoming priests and military chaplains. 38 ordinations to the priesthood in your seven and a half years as vocations director. Wow. 38 ordinations to the priesthood, and two more by the end of the summer. Uh, nine have already gone on active duty, and 24 will go on active duty in the next three years. Congratulations on a fantastic job. Well, thank you. I don't know whether I could take much credit for it. All I do is answer emails <laughs> and work drug deals between, uh, <laughs> between the military and dioceses and you know all of that. But, I don't believe you just did that, Father. I think the numbers speak for themselves. Well, thank you. Uh, so uh, I know that your your job is a uh, is a challenging job in this day and age when uh, there are a uh, few men uh, considering Catholic priesthood. What is the secret of your success? How did you come about uh, uh, shepherding so many young men to become priests and chaplains? Well, you know, I think it all started when I was on active duty in the Navy, and I don't know why, but I just everywhere I went, young men would come to talk to me about being priests, you know. Uh, at one point, I was stationed at the Naval Academy as part of the staff, and within my first week, five five midshipmen came to me, and uh, I think three of them are already ordained, you know, to the priesthood, which is a pretty good average, actually. Uh, generally, if you if you take three men into the seminary at a college level, uh, two will finish college, and uh, and one in the end will be ordained. You know that's that's an average that you get. So one out of one out of three, three or four, if three. they come in, say at eighteen or nineteen. Now the older they are, the more likely they are to persevere. But those statistics um, go back a century or so. I mean, this is not a recent phenomenon. I see. Well, the the person of the priest yourself as a Navy chaplain, and you had a whole career in the Navy, but it would seem to me from the outside looking in that that would be the primary attraction to a young man considering priesthood is the, the priest who's in that well, yes. I mean, if, if, already. You, if you talked, if you talk to seminarians, uh, they, all of them will tell you that it was their personal interaction with a particular priest or a couple of priests uh, that led them to the seminary. You know, every year um, there's a survey of all the men ordained to the priesthood, both religious and diocesan, 
uh, by uh, Georgetown University. And uh, it, it generally works out that about 20% of them, which is the largest single group, are, were either in the military or from military families, or both. And they will tell you, you know, that it was this or that chaplain in the military. And I, I think that's because military chaplains are in a unique position as priests because unlike other unlike pastors or other chaplains, uh, you don't actually live with uh, on a daily basis uh, with your parishioners. And a prison chaplain isn't a prisoner and a hospital chaplain isn't a patient, but a military chaplain is in the military, not just wearing the uniform, but uh, going through all the everything and everyone has to go through. The only thing he doesn't do is fire a weapon. And so there is this, this connection on a daily basis, especially when you deploy, where you're together uh, 24-7 uh, for six, seven months, you know. And these are people who, who may have never actually met or talked to a priest in their lifetime. And of course, it's not just vocations. I mean, the, the opportunities for evangelization um, both of Catholics and non-Catholics is quite quite remarkable. So I I think you know it's it's the nature of the of the military chaplaincy and the and the intimacy of the ministry that has a lot to do with it. A real life example of what Pope Francis called smelling like the sheep. Well, yes, and in this particular case, you actually do smell. I can <laughs> tell you that right now. You know. Uh, Life well, on a ship or in the field is is not exactly you know, uh, pleasant. I, I once had a very interesting experience. You may recall that about 10, 10 years ago or so, there was this massive tsunami in the Indian Ocean and Southeast Asia. Well, I remember. Yes. And uh, so we I was on a ship on a way to the Persian Gulf, and we were in Guam, when the tsunami hit, which was like New Year's Eve, I think it was. And uh, so we just reprovisioned. We were going to stay there for a couple of days, but we reprovisioned and headed right into the wake of this tsunami and found ourselves off uh, the tip of Sumatra. And, of course, it was a big media thing, and we had Wolf Blitzer there up on the flight deck, you know, reporting. <laughs> and... and um, but there was also a very interesting reporter from uh, the New Yorker there, a secular Jew from New York, but, you know, not at all hostile to religion or anything. And and one of the things you end up doing as chaplain is kind of being the chaperone and a companion of visiting people, you know. So he's sitting in my stateroom, which is more like, a, you know, an, an oversized bathroom. <laughs> but it's like, and we're chatting, but he was absolutely amazed. Of course, he had no members of his family were in the military. He had no contact with the military until this assignment. And suddenly, he's on this giant warship out in the, out in the Indian Ocean, and uh, he said, I can't, how could people live like this and volunteer to do it? He was just kind of overwhelmed with, you know, with incomprehension and admiration all, all at the same time, you know. And, uh, yeah, and so, I mean, but that is, that's the life that you're living with these, with these men and women. 
Well, the fact that you attracted five in your first week at the U.S. Naval Academy speaks very well for you as a priest. Yeah, well, some you know, sometimes it's just because you're the, the new guy in town, you know, someone to talk to, that, that, that has something to do with it, too. Yeah, I get it. Now, you were a Navy chaplain. for You had a career in the Navy as a chaplain. Yes, I, I joined the Navy at the tender age of 41. And, uh, That's almost uh, too late. Yeah, well, 42 is the limit, though they do give age waivers. But if you want to do a full career of 20 years, you, in those days, you had to you had to be in, in on active duty by your 42nd birthday. So in any case, uh, yes, and I was sent to the largest battalion in the Marine Corps at Camp Lejeune, the 8th Engineers Support Battalion. And uh, so there I was, the oldest guy in the unit, and I was the oldest uh, one in uniform everywhere until I got to the Naval Academy. And that was only because the admiral, who was the superintendent, had been brought out of retirement to, <laughs> to take the job. But, okay. So, but that gave me an edge, you know, because I was pretty much old enough to be the the father of the 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 senior officers and the grandfather of all the enlisted, you know. <laughs> so it, it it gives you a, a kind of a kind of edge, you know, socially, I should say, uh, and uh, and people are inclined to you know, confide in you and so on because of that. I'm talking to Father Aidan Logan, Vocations Director for the Archdiocese for the Military Services. So how long were you in the Navy on active duty? Uh, well, strictly speaking, I was only in 17 years on active duty and three years in the reserve. So I, I was on active duty initially for three years. I went home and was a drilling reservist with a submarine squadron out of Norfolk for three years. And then the Navy asked me to come back just for six months to, <laughs> to fill a gap out of 29 Palms in California. And of course, I, I ended up staying until I'd done a full 20. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, they must have thought highly of you as well. Yeah, well, you know, of course, you know, you're, uh, as a priest in the military, even then, it was a seller's market, you know, so they're anxious to hold on to priests. I see. Well, uh, so in your seven and a half years uh, working with young men who uh, are experiencing a, uh, a discernment, a discerning a vocation to the priesthood, have you seen any patterns uh, in outlook, any uh, uh behavioral differences differences from your generation of priests? Well, for one thing, I would say they tend to come to a decision later. You know, I'm of that generation that entered the seminary at the age of 14. And I was not, you know, in, in those days, you discerned until you entered the seminary, and then the emphasis was on persevering. Then the and the faculty, the staff would say, "We'll discern whether or not you have a priesthood, a vocation of the priesthood. If you don't, we'll send you home. Meanwhile, you you need to right. you need to persevere." I got you. And they were serious about that. I mean, every more, every now and then, someone would disappear, and you would never <laughs> just never hear of them again. You know. So it was kind of interesting. That sounds but, like the television news business that yes, I used to be in. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, but now I would say the the moment of truth comes in their junior year of college uh, for some of them. 
many of them. So whether it's at the military academies or uh, in college ROTC or just in college, they will, um, that's when they start thinking about they re what they really want to do with their lives. And uh, so that's, that's where I come in because many men think that, especially if they're at one of the military academies or at, in ROTC, that they're locked in for the next seven years and they have no choice but to go on active duty and then pursue a vocation. And, uh, but the fact is that all the branches of the service have a mechanism, some a little easier than others, but it's all there, to, if you want to pursue a, uh, a profession that, which they really need, so if you want to be a doctor, a lawyer, or a chaplain, uh, in the military, especially a Catholic priest because there's such a shortage of them, they will give you what's called an educational delay on your uh, active duty service. And uh, so you don't actually leave the military while you're in the seminary. You're, you're what's called a chaplain candidate. And it's very much like a newly commissioned officer from uh, the Air Force Academy be, being sent to mil uh, medical school or law school. You're in, you're in the military while you're in the seminary and you do some of your training during the summer, but basically your job is to become professional, from their point of view, become professionally competent and stay in good physical shape over that time. And so that's really, you know, if, if, they, if I can catch them, <laughs> you know, when, when they've come to that point and, uh, I don't know whether catch is the word, because I'm not the one who's catching them, God is, but in any case. I hear you. Uh, and, and steer them in the right direction before they get orders, you know, to go to infantry school or flight school or whatever the military wants them to do, then, uh, then we can get them on the path. Because it takes 10 years to make a military chaplain, priest. So you've got, uh, first of all, it takes about a year. They have to be accepted by a, a regular civilian diocese first, and then we will co-sponsor them with the home diocese and pay half of whatever it takes to get them through the seminary, you know? Uh, tuition, room and board, insurance, all that stuff. And in turn, the home diocese agrees to lend the man to us, the priest to us, for five, at least five years after he's been ordained for three. So we want him to have some good pastoral experience before he comes to the military. And um, so that, that's, the, that's the deal. But now many of these guys are from military families who have moved every two or three years their entire lives. So the only diocese they know is the military diocese. So that's where, you know, my job comes in and uh, where I have to find out, okay, now, wh where is home for you? Where are your grandparents? Where, where are your parents going to retire? And Because you, you really want to have your roots there because you're not going to spend your entire priesthood in the military. So then I introduce him to the vocation director from that diocese, and he starts doing interviews with them and so on. Now, thanks be to God, because of my work with the National Conference of Diocesan Vocation Directors, uh, and, and I go to their convention every year, and I 
talk to all the new vocation directors when they come on board. Uh, we're now at a place where almost all the dioceses will call us if they have a military man uh, who is discerning with them. And, uh, you know, because it's, it's a good deal for the diocese because I tell them, well, you can have him now or you can have him in seven years, you know. <laughs> and and maybe, maybe he'll hold on to his vocation, you know, or we don't know because it get lonely out there, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of how it works. It's, it's, it's really, I'm not really the one who, you know, convinces them that they to be priests or sells it to them it's it's they've already they're already sold on it by the time they talk to me they just need to know how to navigate the system really and get themselves plugged in to priestly formation because as i said it takes about a year to get them cleared with the diocese and then uh if they have a college degree they have to do two more years of undergraduate to get the equivalent of a bachelor's degree in philosophy and then four years of theology and maybe a pastoral year, a kind of uh, internship thrown in in the middle of that, and then three years in a parish or the diocese or maybe in a, uh, some kind of campus ministry or something, that's 10 years. That's a good 10 years before they actually come on active duty. Wow. And I should point out the need is pressing. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean the 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 co-sponsored seminary program, which is a partnership between the AMS, the Archdiocese for the Military Services, and the prospective chaplains' home diocese. Uh, that program back in 2008 was down to just seven, and during your time here, uh, we reached an all-time high. This program has been in existence since the mid 80s when the AMS right, right. was created. And I think it was 2018. We were up to what 48. Yeah, we all. I was hoping that I could break the 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 50 ceiling, but and then the pandemic came along. Well, not only that, but they kept getting ordained. (laughs) (laughs) So this year, I mean, this year we're ordaining 10 10 men to the priesthood, and next year we're ordaining 10 men to the priesthood. So I mean, that brings our numbers down, but that's that's the good way. And and I think, you know, there's a lot of pent up decision-making out there because of the pandemic, I think that we will climb back up into the high 40s without too much trouble. Because I I know how many people we have on the list to come to a discernment retreat. So we had about 35 men on the list for the retreat coming up this weekend, and about 13 could make it, you know. Now we're having another one in the fall out in Cincinnati. And that, I'm sure, will get about 25 men for that. So, And for the young man out there considering discerning a priesthood, the, you know, a, a vocation to the priesthood, a career in the military as a chaplain, yeah. what's your advice? Well, the first thing I'd say is that the being a, a military chaplain uh, is a vocation within the priestly vocation. It's like being a foreign missionary. It takes a certain set of human and uh, supernatural skills, you know, uh, abilities. Not every, there are plenty of guys who are going to be fine priests who are just not cut out to be military chaplains, you know. So uh, even the mere physicality of it, you know, eliminates a lot of fellas. And there's no shame in that. It's just, it's how we're made. So um, that that's the first thing. And there are a whole slew of saints who were military chaplains, you know, 
over the years. And of course, we have our own uh, people here. Uh, of course, the servant of God, Vincent Capadano, who is up for beatification. Uh, Father Verbis Lafleur from Lafayette in Louisiana, who died in World War II. Father Aloysius Schmidt, who went down with his battleship in Pearl Harbor, saving crew members. And, you know, the list goes on and on. And not just here in the States. Uh, there are chaplains from World War I and World War II who have been uh, beatified and are canonized, as well as uh, from the, the Crusades and, the, you know, um, uh, going right back to the Middle Ages. And uh, so it is a, um, a unique vocation, uh, one in which uh, is a call, it is a call to holiness, just like uh, the pa- parochial ministry or any kind of chaplaincy or so on, or for that matter, being a priest, scholar, and teacher, you know. So that's the first thing I would say. It's it's not it's not primarily a career. It's a vocation within the priestly vocation. Um, the other thing is that um, no one is called to the military uh, in any way for their entire life. We all have to retire and go home at some point. So your roots have to be in your home diocese. And as a matter of fact, uh, you know, uh, we are not interested in, in men who want to be ch- chaplains and kind of freelance priests without a connection, without roots in their home diocese. Uh, that's just, it's just like, you know, when you think about the men you've served with in the military, the guys who are good family men, you know, and kind of responsible all the way, connected with their community and so on, tend to be the best leaders in the military as well. Mm-hmm. So Very interesting. Yeah, so, so that's why the initial contact has to be with the home diocese. Now, if, you know, if the, if the home diocese is absolutely emphatic that they won't sponsor you to be a military chaplain, well, that's where we come in and we, we, we find him a bishop who will, will do that. Usually what we try to do is find like a neighboring diocese, uh, which is probably just as close to his family home as as the you know the the diocese's families in or something like that so we we it work we can work that out and we have a lot of connections with different dioceses and so on I'm talking to Father Aidan Logan, outgoing director of vocations here at the Archdiocese for the military services after an incredibly successful seven and a half years uh, in this position a, a period that produced sixty five new ordinations, and uh, the, the the need for these new priests as chaplains is enormous. Uh, there's been a, uh, a steady decline in the population of Catholic chaplains in the military over the past few decades, uh, but just since 9-11, uh, uh, when we had over 400 Catholic chaplains in the military on active duty, we're down to under 200 now, yes. last count 185. Yes, yes. And I would say without, you know, I mean, all the branches need chaplains, but I would say especially the Navy, uh, because we are the most uh, spread out. And Navy chaplains are responsible for the the Navy, the Marine Corps, and the Coast Guard, and the Merchant Marine. And so uh, it's, uh, and, and unlike the Army and the Air Force, whose deployments are contingent upon the world situation and the budget and all of that. The Navy and Marine Corps deploy constantly, 
you know, they're, they're always ships at sea. They're always uh, sailors and marines on foreign station. Uh, you know, kind of the, the police force, really. Uh, the world's uh, keeping the sea lanes open, suppressing piracy, and, you know, generally keeping an eye on our friends, the Chinese and the Russians, you know. So, uh, the, uh, to put it mildly. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I, just to give you an idea of how radical it, it's been, you know, so when I was commissioned, as a chaplain in 1991, there were 220 priests in the Navy. And uh, so generally every major deployment had a priest along, if not two priests. And uh, so uh, and at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, which that area was there, two air bases, a military hospital, the Camp Lejeune base, and then all the units on that base. Among us, all of them, there were 14 Catholic priests. There. Wow. And at any given time, about half of us would be deployed somewhere. So that would leave seven or eight of us at home. And uh, yeah, so, and I was very lucky because I, I had this the fellowship and support of all these brother priests uh, who had much, who had all this experience, you know. So I, I, I you know, I felt very confident and, and, and as I said, supported. Okay, so then uh, from there, I went. Uh, to the submarine school and so on. So 10 years later, almost to the day, I came back to Camp Lejeune, right, mid-career, and I was the pastor of the chapel there on the base. And uh, we were down to seven priests, so exactly half the number. And that I was there at the time of 9-11. And uh, so... Um, and when the invasion of Iraq, Afghanistan and then Iraq came along, all the other priests left, and I was the only priest in the whole military priest. Now, fortunately, there were neighboring parishes where people could go. But nonetheless, uh, we, we suddenly, I was on my own. But then they all came back. Okay, so then I went off to a couple more ships, the Naval Academy, and so on. And my final tour... Uh, as a chaplain, was with the 2nd Marine Division at Camp Lejeune. And uh, at that point, there were two priests for this, uh, you know, 85,000 Marines or whatever the number, wow. number is there and their families. And the Marine Corps, you know, is the most Catholic of the services. So, I mean, that, that puts a special edge on it, too. And um, when I retired, the next day there was one priest that whole that whole area that tells the story and i should point out the reason for the or among the reasons for the decline in chaplains is that uh, it's attrition I, you know catholic priests are reaching uh, retirement military retirement usually at the age of 62 faster than they can be replaced right well you know i i was born in 1948 uh the the peak of the baby boom and so the day i retired um in uh, at, uh, 20, 2010, 14 priests went home that day because we had all been born in 1948. So 14 of you left service, left military service. In one day, yes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, so, so, I mean, that, and we were the, you know, because we are the peak of the baby bull, right. you know. And, and, of course, the vocations kind of follow that curve. And, uh, you know, when I was a young seminarian, I was from a family of six, and we were considered a small family, 
You know, I mean, <laughs> right, most Catholic. most of the guys were from families of eight or twelve. You know, in, in many cases, and um, so one son, more or less, was not an issue. You know. Right. <laughs> Um, I've been talking to Father Aidan Logan, who is the uh, outgoing vocations director for the Archdiocese for the Military Services. Um, you, uh, Father Logan, are, uh, have moved on to Detroit, Michigan, where you are uh, offering pastoral assistance at the Assumption Grotto Church. Yes. Um, in the minute or so we have left, uh, what's, your, uh, what's your vice with Father S. Matthew Gray, who's coming in later this summer to succeed you in in your position, um, well, I'd say I'd say this to any vocation director, not just the Father Gray, who is, who is a seasoned vocation director. He's been the vocation director in Charleston, uh, South Carolina. So, I don't really have to tell him about how the, that job is done. But um, <clears throat> my advice to any new vocation director would be that it's all about one-on-one contact. You want to call these guys, talk to them, give them your cell phone number, encourage them to call you anytime, day or night, you know. Very good. Thank you, Father Aidan Logan, Outgoing Vocations Director for the Archdiocese for the Military Services, soon to be succeeded by Father S. Matthew Gray. Uh, Father Aidan, thank you again for talking to me today. You're most welcome. It's been a pleasure. Catholic Military Life is a podcast of the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, erected by Pope St. John Paul II in 1985 to provide for the free exercise of Catholic faith in the U.S. military, VA medical centers, and the government's civilian workforce beyond U.S. borders. 1.8 million American Catholics worldwide depend on the Archdiocese and its endorsed chaplains for pastoral care. For more information, visit millarch.org. The Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, serving those who serve.